All right, welcome back, guys. This is episode two of The V Word. Vagina, 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 I'm just going to do that every time. Do it every time. Uh, this is Dr. Jen. And Dr. Erica. And today we're talking about a really big issue that's happening uh, legislatively right now, this week. Um, and that is the Senate's attempt to pass a 20-week abortion limit. Um, and all and of its implications, the history, yes. we're going to delve deep with this one because this feels... Um, like a big a big misunderstanding in the public policy sphere and something that we actually do have a greater understanding of as women's health providers. Right. So Eric and I, we are OBGYNs. We, and that means providing comprehensive care, whether it's delivering babies, operating on women, and providing abortions, because all of that is part of comprehensive women's health. So we are right. the experts in this field. And it, you know, if you're going to take something away from this, it's Wise to do it from people who know what they're talking about. There we go. There you go. And um, with that. Okay, so. So let's. The let, news. Yeah, let's get into at least what. So what is this bill called, Jen, and why is oh, it. Um, what What's going on with the okay, bill? Okay, so this is problem number one. This thing is called the Pain Capable Unborn Child Act. Uh, I have so many problems with that terminology. Just let that sit for a second. Can we just. Yeah. I can't even, like... Can we just break it down, though, into why all of okay. that is so problematic? Because okay. in women's health, actually, this is a greater theme, terminology is so important, right? The way we say women versus uterus, the way we say fetus versus child, all of these things carry are huge in terms of how people interpret and apply their moral values to these things. So Right. And that's not unintentional. These are very, very loaded terms. They're not medical terms. They are loaded political terms, and they're meant to pull at your heartstrings, right? Because we're all human, and when you hear that someone is in pain, a baby is in pain, well, like, fuck. Like, yeah, no, yeah, no yeah. No one wants that. No one wants that. That's right. Um, but here's the problem. So, okay, issue number one, unborn child. Um, you know, n- no medical person calls a pregnancy or a fetus an unborn child. So, So that is... A misnomer right there. I mean, the second you start calling a fetus a child, then at what point do you start doing that? At what point do you stop doing that? It's just there's it's you're, right. you're mixing a lot of words there. Do you get to be an unborn child as a sperm or an egg or right. a blastocyst? Right. Right. Like the line is very unclear, and the fact that it's different for different people is saying something. Is saying that other people shouldn't impose their line yeah, on absolutely. Other people. And I think it's really important to point out right here that this actually. Um, has some historical value. So when Roe v. Wade passed in 1973, the court actually said, look, we're not even going to comment on when does life begin, when doesn't life begin, because that's a really loaded topic. It is so personal. It's so individualized for everyone. And the medical community, the theological community, the the legal community, we all can't come together and agree on an actual point. So we're not even going to do it. And that's why Roe v. Wade isn't about abortion technically when you think about it it's about women's rights and considering women human beings um and protecting privacy yeah absolutely and protecting privacy so anyway so that's problem number one problem number two fetal pain okay let's talk about this yeah and so this is actually something where there has been a lot of scientific research that gets completely glossed over Mm -hmm. when politicians start talking about it so there is very good research into trying to discover when a fetus can feel pain. And some of this is to figure out how to be anti-choice and anti-abortion, but some of it is also to figure out, like, if we have to do a surgery in utero, when do we need to give a fetus an anesthetic? Things like that. So it's not just about abortions, and that's important with this research. Um, And And so, yeah, so what we do know is that 
you know, the, all the literature that we have uh, in this day and age very strongly suggests that a fetus is not capable of feeling pain until closer towards the third trimester. So the, the neurological pathways, you can think of it like the railroad tracks, are not laid down yet. Um, they don't even exist. They, it, it is not developed enough to feel pain. And, and we, we know this from, you know, from a compilation of research studies. And so people who are stating other words are citing bogus science. Um, and let me just say, it's really easy to say, you know, to get very passionate and to say whatever you want to say when you don't have to follow the rules of science. That's right. <laughs> That's <know>? right. <laughs> science doesn't care about your opinion. Which is you know, part of why we like it, right? There's right, some seeking right. of truth that oh, we're trying to absolutely. do. Um, so, so that's the name. There's there's a lot of issues with the name. Um, okay, and then what does it do? Can, can we maybe right. break that down a little yes. bit? What does so, it try so, to do? <laughs> I feel like we should have led with that. We're burying the lead here. But the whole point of this law um, is to make it federally or nationwide illegal to do an abortion after 20 weeks. Why 20 weeks, Erica? Yeah, why 20 weeks? So 20 weeks is... Where'd they get that number? <laughs> is is mostly completely bogus, actually. Yeah? Um, it sounds... 20 weeks also is very and unclear, is not a clear medical term anyways, because 20 weeks from your last menstrual period, 20 weeks from the date of conception, 20 weeks from the first ultrasound. We do all sorts of different types of dating for medical purposes in pregnancy, and 20 weeks is a really unclear statement that is not useful medically. Like so much of this legislation, it's really at odds with and uninformative to medical practice yeah, for this I think reason. It's arbitrary. It's a, it's a nice clean number, 20. It's in the second trimester. It's completely arbitrary. It sounds big. big. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there's no science, you know, that says at 20 weeks something changes with development, and at that point we should start to stop you know, we should stop doing abortions. It's just completely arbitrary. Um, but the other question is, too, like, it, well, is this a problem? Are a lot of people getting abortions later on in pregnancy? Are we not doing a good job giving them birth control earlier or getting them access to care earlier if they do need an abortion? Those are all issues yeah. in and of themselves. But it's actually an incredibly small percent of people who end up having abortions after 20 weeks. Yeah. I know you looked into some of those numbers. Um, Guttmacher.org, they're sort of a think tank for reproductive yeah. rights. And they have they have all the citations for their work, so you can tell what the studies are based on. Mm -hmm. But almost all of abortions occur in the first trimester when... Um, which is like how many Which weeks? is about 12, 13 weeks, the vast majority of abortions. Less than 4% occur after 16 weeks gestation, mm -hmm. um, which is well before most women feel any fetal movement or yeah. anything like that. And then less than 1% occur after 20 weeks. So less than 1% of abortions would be affected by these sorts of bills, and yet it is the focus of so much policy. Which is insane if you think about it, because right now, legislatively, we have put Congress on hold. We put the government on hold. There was a government shutdown. We are holding citizenship and um, the legal status of so many uh, citizens uh, at bay, essentially, with DACA. There's so many more important issues going on right now, and we are concerning ourselves over abortions for women that happen only less than 1% of the total time, essentially. Yes, it is, which just kind of gets to that abortion is such a politically charged and political move that Republicans in particular have been using in this really destructive and absolutely and unscientifically based way. Yeah. 
But I do think it's important, Jen, to delve into who are this, who are these less right. than one percent of women that are having these abortions? Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions, and mm-hmm. some of those portrayed in this discussion of this bill by Congress, um, in who in who those women are and why they're having an abortion. Right. right. Why would you ever need to have an abortion after 20 weeks? Because there have been physicians, I kid you not, physicians who have testified in Congress and said, I have never seen a medical reason for an abortion after 20 weeks, which as I know, I'm looking at the look on your face right now, as providers who have cared for women in these sometimes very tragic and heartbreaking situations. Often very tragic. Right. That's absolutely untrue. Yeah. And I think also that's another great term, medically necessary, is something that means different things to different people. And again, kind of like how when we were talking about our last episode with surrogacy, the fact that there's some gray area here means that we should probably be really careful about how we regulate it to make sure that we're not getting involved and inhibiting something that um, that is the right thing to do for right. for that woman. Um, so so what what are some reasons, Jen? Right. So okay. So aside there. from um, you know not being able to access care in time, not being able to, um, you know, a lack of education, a lack of access, and people don't either realize they're pregnant or don't realize they're pregnant until much later on in pregnancy, and then therefore that's when they found out they were pregnant after 20 weeks. You also see really specific situations like um, a family goes in to have their anatomy ultrasound, which doesn't happen until 20 weeks in most places. Really, the earliest that can happen is 18 weeks. Right, right. And, and a lot of places don't do it till later. Right. And they're suddenly diagnosed with no kidneys or no brain. severe heart disease or no brain or something just incompatible or very difficult um, to live with in life. And, you know, there's a whole spectrum there. You know, you can, we can break that down too. It could be anything from, you know, Down syndrome to, to things that are, you know, far more, um, uh, life medically complex. Yeah. 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 And, and again, we're not saying here, if you have this condition, you should consider abortion. If you have this condition, you shouldn't. This is an intensely, intensely personal, um, and individualized decision. And that's sort of the whole point of choice is that no one, no legislator should be able to say, you need to do this with your body because they don't know what it's like to be you and to be in your family. That's right. And we, don't feel like there are any shoulds in this whole conversation and that's what choice means it means we there's no should in pressuring to have an abortion like in places that are trying to control population control we don't we don't believe in that we don't support that but there's also no should in preventing women from having an abortion no should right. in making people be carried a term and and give birth so so let's draw a little bit out on that situation too because i can think of one woman who um you know, sits with me when, her, when the situation sits in my heart always. I don't think I'll ever forget this. And we certainly, you probably have a lot of um, patient memories like this too. But I can think of a woman right now who her and her husband had been trying to get pregnant for years and had actually ended up going through IVF, had spent so much time, money, um, hope, um, yeah. on this scenario and finally got pregnant and then at 20 weeks she goes in for her ultrasound and it turns out that she's got this heart defect with the baby little baby boy that's totally incompatible with life this baby well at least this baby is going to be suffering so when this baby is born if it's you know it's a baby to her so i refer to it as a baby um when it is born if it makes it to term this baby as she was counseled is going to be born struggling to breathe struggling to even be alive long enough for her to enjoy those first few moments 
holding her son in her hands. And she's sitting there in the room with me, sobbing because this is something she never thought that she would have to do. And something that she even, you know, potentially had maybe passed some judgment on before in the past, you know, on other people who might do this. And suddenly, tragically, she is in this situation. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that people people don't think of this ever happening to them. Ever, no one thinks there's going to be problems with no. their pregnancy. Yeah. No one thinks that they're going to go into labor at 19 weeks. No one thinks that they're going to have a fetal defect. No one thinks that they're going to get pregnant when they're not intending to get right. pregnant. This isn't something that we are great at predicting or great at planning. Mm-hmm. And certainly none of the men who are not of reproductive age in Congress who are making many of these decisions are thinking about this actively happening in their own lives as well. And I think that's something that gets lost in this conversation is that it could happen to anyone. These things are sporadic. And and when it does happen, oftentimes the women, the families who are making these decisions are actually making them from a place of love and compassion. If she sat there and made that decision, she didn't do it because, oh, I don't want to have a difficult life where I'm taking care of, you know, someone who's has special needs their whole life or whatever no it was because she didn't want her son to suffer and as a mother as we are you know both mothers I that resonates with me like I I would never want my child or anyone I love to suffer and so she made this horrible decision out of a place of love and compassion and that is you know you you do see that a lot with these abortions that happen after 20 weeks because they don't even find out that this is the case until 20 weeks so to say that you're going to have a law that is outlawing nationwide that scenario oh my god that is so completely yeah anti-woman anti-family and intrusive intrusive on that decision that personal private decision that that woman is making no I I think also some of the myths about this that maybe we won't delve into too much but I think are important are um to talk about what the the safety of that procedure and also Mm -hmm. the um how that procedure can often, the, the procedure of a 20-week abortion or a second trimester abortion is an incredibly safe, very, very quick procedure right. with very low complications and very low risks to the mother. Yeah, which, we, I mean, we often say abortion in general is 14 times safer than giving birth. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, preg- pregnancy and birth are no joke. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that's something that gets misconstrued, too, and that there are some false arguments like, no, no, it's for the safety or the health of the woman. No, absolutely um, not. And I I was thinking of a different patient who I took care of who um, herself had a cardiac condition and was pregnant with a very intentional, very happy about this pregnancy and ended up having um, a sort of not quite a stroke, but uh, a cardiac uh, problem that ended up in a very transient loss of her heartbeat, which was a, oh, is wow. a very scary thing in medicine. Oh, my God. But that transient loss of blood flow to her body also caused the, the fetus and the baby, which, again, she called it a baby, to demise and, oh, and no. to, to pass away. To pass away. Yeah. And, oh, again, tragic. that's another scenario where it's that – who knows if that would fall under this abortion, this abortion law, too. Like – At that point, her decision is to wait until her body goes into labor or in order to deal with her cardiac condition, which is what she did. The safest thing to do was to do a procedure where the pregnancy was removed and she could focus on her health. Right. 
And so in some of the language around this bill too, they do throw in this little clause that says, except, you know, in the scenario to uh, save the life of the woman or the child. Okay. But that is not a black and white issue like they'd like it to seem, um, yeah. seem on paper. A lot of times, we're giving you some examples here where, you know, it's a little bit more clear, but a lot of times it's a scenario where these same principles would apply but to medically prove that it would kill the mom, I, I mean, no one can do that. You can't know until it happens. So, um, yes. So that's you can't just throw in a clause like that and expect it to to work. And it, even, it won't. And even in that scenario, like her being pregnant complicated her cardiac problem, but it didn't necessarily like increase. Who knows how much it increased her risk of mortality? You know, like that would be a really hard thing for us to say. It's a very rare situation, mm-hmm. and so in a more conservative environment, we could have even gotten pushback in that scenario. So I think um, the the bottom line is that it's medicine is is full of gray areas, and mm-hmm. is, and these decisions are full of gray areas, and it's important that there's no intrusion into those intensely personal decisions. Right. Um, right. by the, the relationship that I have with my patients, with each of them, is a personal relationship, and legislators, politicians, pundits do not belong in that office, do not no. belong in that room. They have no place in that decision. And they they're not medical experts. That's right. And and no. Just no. <laughs> um, let's, let's maybe switch gears a little bit yeah. and talk a little bit about what we are deciding to call justice by geography. Yes, I love this term, justice by geography. So... Right now, so I know this sounds, um, I mean, the bad news is that the Senate was voting on this and that it had already gotten through um, the House of Representatives and had the, the Senate passed it, it would have gone to 45's office. We're not saying his name. I'm not going to say his name. Um, <laughs> but, um, so that's the bad news that it already passed. The good news is that it didn't get enough votes. Uh, the Senate needed 60 votes for this to pass and they don't have that many seats. Um, however... This is already the situation for, or the reality for many states across the country. Depending on where you live, um, you can't have an abortion after 20 weeks. This is already the scenario. So, so people may look at this and think, oh, that's ridiculous. Well, it's already happening. It's happening in lots of states, and there's actually this and so many more um, really intrusive and restrictive abortion laws in place. You want to talk about some of the ones? Yeah, we just sort of briefly, and I think one thing that we are trying to sort of reclaim as the sort of pro-women, pro-choice view of these issues is um, getting on top of this because the anti-choice, the anti-women side of these issues has been like poking away at all of these issues for so long. So there are laws in different states that are sort of grouped in this term called trap laws, but um, laws that sort of subtly limit abortion. So things that make mandatory requirements for physicians who have abortion as part of their practice. So um, in some states, that means they have to have admitting privileges as a hospital at a hospital. So that sounds like somewhat reasonable until you realize that 95% of abortions are done outside of hospitals and no one ever needs to be admitted to a hospital. Right. And that, you know, physicians who do colonoscopies don't have admitting privileges. And or, that's a procedure where the person's asleep almost. Yeah, and phys- yeah. and lots of procedures that right. are done in, right. in outpatient yeah. surgery centers. Um, those physicians don't have hospital admitting privileges because there's a lot that goes into admitting privileges and the um, boards in particular states would be very unlikely to give admitting privileges to a physician with abortion as part of their practice. And so even though it's not directly outlawing abortion, it is preventing access if there are no physicians that are able to get that Absolutely. admitting privilege. Mm-hmm. There are also even more bogus laws like 
there are in an exam room where an abortion is performed, there have to be five operating room lights. Jen and I both do hysterectomies, which is a much bigger surgery where we remove the uterus. Completely separate, just a different type of surgery that we both do. And we don't have five operating room lights in those surgeries. It's like a concert. Yeah, like, I I don't know that I've been in an operating room with five or lights. That's a so it's so that's someone who is so removed from medicine and surgery that right. they or someone who's just like clever enough to realize that legislators who are making these laws are so removed oh, that they'll Erica, think that that's safer or something. Clever enough. So it's interesting you say that because there are actually like like these anti-choice think tanks. I'm forgetting the name of one right now. Plus I don't want to say the name because no, that's no. whatever. But it's there are these the entities that sit around essentially and brainstorm or come up with the most ridiculous but like how can we chip away exactly laws Ugh. how can we chip away without them noticing and it's it, and they're always framed in ways where it's for the safety of the woman like the hallway needs to be wide enough in that room because if there's an emergency the gurney needs to get down the floor like i mean that sounds safety right but it's never about safety it's coming from the same people that want to outlaw contraception access that want to outlaw abortion in all scenarios also funding for prenatal care funding all of this stuff child it's care. very anti-family it's very anti-woman i know we keep saying that um but it's it's cloaked it's masked as something meant to care for you and i think one of the things is we they, it is clever we haven't noticed because we're too busy caring for women mm. like this is the problem and this is why we're so far behind in terms in our like pro women trust women movement is that we are busy taking care of women and doing other things but now we're finally catching up and yeah. hopefully it will be fast enough to prevent some of these dangerous things from happening right um and so you know it's hard to speculate what what's the message to take away from this like what would happen if in the future something like this happened there was a 20 week ban that actually went to 45's desk um you know but i Gosh, I don't think it takes much imagination, you know, because imagine what life was like before Roe v. Wade. I mean, a lot of us weren't alive or certainly not practicing medicine back then. But for the people who were, I often hear people talk about this idea of an entire ICU ward full of women dying from back alley abortions. Like literally entire wards, a separate ICU where people who had stuck coat hangers up there or used bleach or just other really caustic, horrible things to try to have an abortion because it's not legal and there they are dying and women did die yeah and so if we ignore this long enough and well enough that will happen again women will die and we know this from research in countries where comparative research in countries where abortion is currently illegal or currently outlawed in Mm -hmm. in a variety of ways we know rates of abortion are actually higher in those countries if as high or if not higher in those countries but that without legal abortion they're much more dangerous so while it doesn't change the rate of abortion happening. It certainly makes women much less safe. Absolutely. And yep. and that's something that is like has been established by studies in many countries. It's been established by many studies in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's even been established as there are states that are getting more restrictive in comparing states that are more restrictive with states that are less restrictive. The illegal, unsafe abortion rate goes up in these states that are much yes. more restrictive. Yes. And so this is something that gets so missed in this debate as well that making abortion illegal, restricting abortion, doesn't actually change abortion rates, turns out, um, but it makes women seek much it more dangerous options. More dangerous. Absolutely. So I think it's a, um, a good point now to sort of transition. So the the next part of this podcast, or this episode rather, is going to be talking to um, a woman, a physician herself, who has gone through a second trimester abortion. She's 
um, so we're so grateful to her for being willing and um, honest enough to you know share her story a very touching story that's hard to talk about in public and um, she's gonna take us through that and, and see what was you know going on and uh, how she handled that If you've loved this episode of The V Word, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at VWordPod, on Instagram at VWordPod, and send us an email, thevwordpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.